0: The Apostle Paul begged the Ephesians, pray for me, he said, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I can fearlessly make known the mystery, the gospel. And David in Psalm 139 said, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, God, to you. That's our prayer as we come to um, God's word today a little, uh, it's a little unusual for me. Normally we would sit there, we'd have our Bibles open and we would, we would plow through a passage and try and draw out the meaning. And actually what happened for me was that as I began to do that in, in uh, our continued study of, of um, Luke chapter nine, verses one through six and the parallel passage uh, when he sent out the 72 in Luke chapter 10, I realized that we got to this place where we were going to put into practice the peace of God that we were going to um, receive this amazing gift of God and, and learn how to let his peace umpire in our hearts, rule in our hearts, and actually direct us here or there, not here, not there. And, and in doing that, I realized, ooh, we better stop for a second. We better stop for just a moment and, and talk about the peace of Christ. Because we, probably not unlike the people of Jesus' day, we are quick to use the words, but not always quick to understand what the, what the words are saying. In Jesus' day, when you encounter someone, even to this day, if, if you go to Israel, they will say to you when you come in and out of a store, they'll say, Shalom, right? Shalom. Or in Arabic, they would say, Salam, right, to you. What are they saying? They're saying, Peace to you but but it becomes just a greeting doesn't it uh, I, we do the same thing when we greet someone we say how you doing right what would you say Marianne if I said that to you yeah 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 good good and, and neither of us heard anything the other person just said right it becomes just a greeting it becomes okay it's a conversation starting a starter and and we're going to move on with that well the same was true for this this thing they would say peace to you and and person say peace you know um and then move on and here is this absolute awesome gift of God that he gives to them to employ for his kingdom and it becomes just a byword so i wanted to take a a, a week if i could and just stop for a second and 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 explore this concept of shalom of peace because next week we're going to see as we return to our core passages we're going to see that that Jesus instructs his disciples when they go to a new situation to declare peace be to this house and and to search out people of peace. And so we want to understand what that is. And it's always easier for me when, I'm, when I want to understand something to actually to ask the opposite question, to, to say, you know, uh, why don't we experience peace? Because I'm guessing that you're like me and and. And peace is not something that is with you 100% of the time. Am I making that up? Do you experience peace all the time? W- why not? I, I want to suggest to you, first from a human perspective, that some of the reasons that we, we don't experience God's peace are because we can't control our circumstances, right? When we are in control, we feel like that's peace. And that might be our peace, but the reality is, is that it's probably not God's peace. So the C word creeps into our lives, right? The control word. I want to be in control of my circumstances. And if I can't be in control, I don't have, I don't have peace. Here's the problem. If we are in control, that means that God is not, right? And, and God wants to be sovereign over our lives. He is sovereign over our lives. So one of the reasons that we don't experience peace, I think, is because we can't control our circumstances. One of the other reasons we don't experience peace is because we can't change other people, right? We can't even change ourselves, much less change our spouse or change our children, uh, change the people in our small group, or certainly the people that that we work with, and and the frustration that comes from not being able to manipulate ourselves, much less the people around us, uh, robs us of that peace. But for many of us, part of the struggle, I think, is is that um, we believe in God, we believe that He is sovereign, but we can't comprehend. What God is doing in this given circumstance. I mean, when you see children being beheaded, you, you, you can't comprehend what a sovereign God is doing in, in, in the midst of those circumstances. Translate that to your own experience when when life does not turn out like you thought it would. When when life uh, suddenly throws you a curveball uh, and, and you start to wonder, God, where are you in the midst of this? What are you doing? God, I want to suggest to you that God has promised peace to us because he knows that he created us with a fundamental need for peace in our lives. One of the names of God, and there are many, one of the names of God is is Yahweh Shalom. Some of you might have learned that as Jehovah Shalom because we were afraid to say that name Yahweh. But but the name is actually Yahweh Shalom. He means the God of peace. God created us to be in relationship with him, to live peaceful lives. Jesus Jesus says three times in John 20 alone, peace be with you and then in our memory verse that we saw earlier today John 14 he says I'm I'm leaving you a gift peace of mind and heart and and the peace that I give you he says is not fragile like the world gives so don't be troubled or afraid God is offering us this peace but what what is the difference between his peace uh, my peace, he says, I give you not the peace that the world gives. It's an oversimplification, and I, and I apologize, but but I think at least it's a, it's a ground floor to be able to understand this difference between the world's peace and our peace. But, but most of the time when we say in the world's context, when we say there's peace, what do we mean? There's not war, right? We, we, we understand that peace is, is, is the absence of conflict from the world's perspective but what jesus is saying is i i never promised you the absence of conflict right in fact i promised you the opposite i said in this world you will have um all us king james people say tribulations right tribulation you you're gonna have unpeace in this world i promise you that i never said and, and it kills me when when Uh, prosperity gospel uh, people just say, oh, uh, trust Jesus and everything will be happy, happy. Uh, No, he said everything will be joyful, joyful. He didn't say everything would be happy, happy. Right. And there's a huge difference we've explored other times together. So peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of it. Right. That's how we opened our worship today. Saying, God, when I look back on my life, when I'm standing on that mountaintop, look, I'm looking back on my life. I, I see how you were. With me. And let's be honest, some of those circumstances were not peaceful at all. But looking back on them, you could say, oh, not only was God with me, but He was working out His sovereign purpose even in the midst of those difficult experiences. So, an oversimplification granted, but, but, but God's peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of God in the midst of it. So, so the question that we want to beg here is is how can we experience God's peace together? How do we experience that kind of presence, not just not just on an occasional basis in our quiet times or in those special mountaintop experiences, but on a moment by moment, uh, turn by turn basis? How do we experience that? Uh, I want to start by saying I think one of the keys to to experiencing God's peace is to accept that which cannot be changed. I'm not sure if I got this, but Philippians 4, is that in there, Rita? Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, the Apostle Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ. Some of our favorite verse, right? Through Christ just strengthens me. We're so used to that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But did you see that earlier part? I've learned in whatever situation I am in to to be content. I think what what we're saying is that acceptance is a learned skill. Acceptance is a learned skill, right? It's it, it's learned from being in difficult circumstances, circumstances that you cannot control the outcome. It's almost as if God is intentionally putting you in places that you cannot extract yourself, so that you will learn how to trust in Him, how to accept His sovereign direction in your life. So what is it then that robs us of peace? It's not really, beloved, this is hard. I know, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. It's not, it's not really the tough times, is it, that robs us of peace? Because everybody experiences tough times. What, what robs us of peace is, is our demand for an explanation from God our spouse from our brothers and sisters in christ because it's out of our control because the circumstances are beyond our control we demand an explanation and i can't tell you how many times i'm in this situation it seems like even more and more as i'm aging i'm realizing i have less and less control right and and so something happens i'm going how did that happen i want to know how that happened. Give me an explanation. And I, and I, and I find myself not only doing that with, with my wife and my family members and my co-workers. I find myself doing that with God. God, what in the world were you thinking? Well, here's the reality, right? God doesn't owe us an explanation for anything, right? He is God and we are not. And that's one of the fundamental places that a person comes to to recognize that we are not God and though god is loving and kind god doesn't owe us an explanation does the pot say to the potter right why did you make me this way right? there's at least three illustrations using pot alone in scripture where it says don't the that which is made does not say to the maker i demand an explanation god doesn't owe us an explanation he often gives us one but he doesn't owe us one. And here's, here's another reality. Even if he did explain it, how would I understand it? I've got a finite mind. He's got an infinite mind. He is not only um, uh, loving me and, and meeting my needs. He is, he is working in the lives of 7 billion other people, right? And, and even if he tried to explain how, how my life somehow affects the life of someone else, uh, it's very doubtful that I could understand it if he, if he did explain it. And thinking about that then took me to Job. And I had to come to the reality that explanations don't really bring peace anyway, right? Now, oftentimes the explanation raises more questions than it answers. The issue is not an explanation at all. It's the experience it's the experience of God's presence, dude. So many of us just went through Job uh, a couple of weeks ago in our, in our reading through the Bible in a year. And what do we have, like 38 chapters, 38 chapters of, of people trying to explain things on God's behalf, by the way. And then God shows up. That's my favorite part. Oh, the gospel is all through Job. You'll see it in three or four different places where, where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and and this flesh shall see him one day. And, and it's absolutely true. It's the gospel in Job. But the power of Job comes in in, in, in the last couple of chapters of Job when, when God shows up. He was there the whole time, patiently waiting. I kind of imagine him going like that, ready to squish him uh, because there was so... Bent on their own explanations, even Job. And then God shows up and just asks one simple question. You remember what it was? Uh, where were you when I was creating the earth? And Job, and I can't even say all their names. His four friends say, I think I'll be quiet now. I think I'll shut up. So. So God invites us. To just experience his presence. To risk unanswered questions. To even even in the silence, and some of you are in that place right now, to even in the silence trust that he's not abandoning you, that he's actually moving his purposes for your life forward. I was thinking about Job and that amazing 38-chapter test that God put him through. I don't want to minimize that at all because virtually everything that, um, that blessed Job was taken away, right? Um, I, I don't want to minimize that at all. But I, I want to r- recognize in the midst of that, that, that he, was, he was asking, he was demanding of God an explanation. And God was silent, right? High school and college students, when you're taking an exam, what does the teacher do, right? Does the teacher teach while you're taking, taking an exam? Does the teacher speak at all? Uh, does a proctor or whoever is there, do they say anything during that exam? What did you notice about their behavior during that exam? They're silent, right? They're silent. Sometimes it's the times when it, God seems to be silent. Now he's. Never silent. He's spoken through his word. All kinds of clues are there. But when we ask him a question and demand an explanation, he doesn't answer. Maybe that's because we're in that season of testing. Maybe he's putting us in that place where he's entrusting to us a test that is going to strengthen us, that is that is going to make us uh, even uh, deeper, give us an even deeper understanding of who God is. He's inviting us to accept his sovereignty over our lives. He's inviting us to accept that which Cannot be changed When I was um, Not I did not yet know Jesus uh, um, But I was observant I was in my grandmother's house In Winslow, Arizona Mike Libs Who usually sits right there Just drove through Winslow On his way uh, Back from the west coast On his motorcycle And, And on her wall Was something I didn't recognize at the time I've since come to understand What it is It said God grant me The serenity Help me To accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, right? And the wisdom to know the difference, right? Uh, I know uh, some right now. People are bristling because they're saying, "Ooh, ooh that's not scriptural." It's absolutely scriptural. It's absolutely scriptural. It just doesn't go far enough. I want to take you there today. The person that wrote that was was Reinhold Niebuhr. He was a follower of Christ. Who wrestled with the questions that we're wrestling with today? He he came to that to that place where he said, "God, I, I'm I'm tired of wrestling with you. Would you help me? Would you help me accept those things which cannot be changed?" And later on, I discovered that that's that was the key prayer that I think the whole recovery movement has has um, adopted. To its fault, much of the recovery movement has taken God out of the equation. Uh, um, But but there's an awesome thing happening right here in Evansville uh, where we put Christ back in. We put God back into the recovery equation and realize that the 12-step groups, when you put Jesus back into it, are doing exactly what God is inviting the rest of us to do as well. Here's the deal. That prayer didn't end there. I didn't know that. Then that was all that would fit on her little potholder or whatever was hanging on the wall in Grandma's house. But the prayer actually continued. It went like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time. Is that biblical? Anybody out there? Is that biblical? Oh, yeah, yeah. Enjoying one moment at a time. Is that biblical? Yeah. Accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Reinhold Niebuhr understood something that many of us don't yet. That sometimes difficulty is the pathway to God's peace. He continues, Taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you, God, would make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I might be reasonably happy in this life, but supremely happy. That was Reinhold's word for joy. But joyful. Forever with you in the next, that I might be reasonably happy in this life and joyful with you forever in the next. Amen. Makes a difference, doesn't it? The power of the prayer is in the second part of the prayer. Acceptance, yes, of things that we cannot trust, but also in, in trust. And surrender. So even if you're struggling right now, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you've got a problem with your child and you're trying to work with that child the best that you can and, and you give the best experience and advice, whatever you can, but you've come to that wall. We're going to explore that in a few weeks. you come to that wall that you cannot get by. Or you're in a marriage that just isn't working out and, and you're doing the best that you can to bring some resolution to this but you've gotten to that point where you either have to accept the spouse for who they are or not. God says, accept. Accept that which can't be changed. The second major thing he says here is, is and Reinhold picked up on it, but it's, it's throughout Scripture, trust in God's loving care, even in the midst of that. Isaiah 26, three says, You, Lord, give true peace to those who depend on you. Because they trust in you. Isn't that interesting? You give true peace to those who depend on you because they trust in you. God invites us to trust in him as well. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 is a much more familiar scripture for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight As we said earlier, God didn't promise us a problem-free life. In fact, there's no such thing as a problem-free life. There's always something. If it's not one thing, it's another. And each of us has our list of problems. And probably, if you're like me, that you kind of prioritize them. Um, uh, Something changes in your life and all of a sudden that which was a low-level problem is now right in your face And again, some of you I don't mean to tread on your emotions. Some of you are in that situation right here But there's a word that describes a series of problems. There's there's a word and it's called life It's called life The solution is not the absence of problems. Remember it's the presence of God in the midst of that. We have to learn to appropriate this peace. Well, so why is, why is life uh, uh, a series of problems? I, I want to just revisit with you a deep teaching. I alluded to it earlier in our worship time. A deep teaching that's really important for the context of the struggles that you face. And the, the core of it, though the words don't appear exactly like this, the core of it comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, there are four reasons that we struggle in this life, right? In, in the first place, we live in a fallen world. Uh, if, if Adam and Eve had not fallen, we certainly would have. They gave way to temptation to be like God. And each of us lives in a world where we, people have given way to a temptation to be like God. There's no such thing as a, a perfect world. In the New Testament, the concept of, of world was expanded, and it was, it was increased to include everything that is in opposition to God. Think about a major system in our culture right now, right? Pick one, education, uh, um, health. Pick a major, a major issue in our world. How is it going? How is it going? It's not going well, right? The world is in opposition to, to the things of God. And when the when the scripture talks about cosmos or, or 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 world it's recognizing that that world is opposed to the things of God. So so we live in a fallen world, but it, but we can take it a step further. We live in fallen flesh. Even if the world was not fallen, we have fallen, have we not? There is a 100% chance that everybody in this room fallen short of the glory of God. I can say that with confidence. I, I, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, um, but, but the reality is is none of us have been able to live the life that God intended for us. The question is not, do we live in a fallen world, or are we fallen people? The question is, what do we do next? What do we do next? And, and the, the beauty of the gospel is that, that God invites us to take that fallenness and bring it to the foot of the cross to, to offer it to him. To recognize, God, I'm helpless apart from you. I cannot do this apart from you. God, I need Christ who did not sin to come into my world, to take my place, to offer his life in place of mine. So we live in a fallen world, and, and we have fallen flesh ourselves. But, but thirdly, there is an evil one, and you've got to come to grips with this. Ephesians 2, Paul does. There is an evil one dedicated to making you fall. It sounds like you're the center of the universe when I say that. Um, really, really, he's dedicated to the destruction of the Holy One. He's dedicated to the destruction of Christ. And here's the problem when you identify yourself with Christ then you put yourself in that target as well. And he's dedicated to the destruction of Christ in you. I know that it's hard for some of us, and that's okay. You're, you're welcome here if you're at that point where, you're not, where you can believe in an evil personage. You'd have to grant me that there is evil in the world. Amen. And, and, and you don't have to read very far in the Scripture to discover that there is a, there's a driver behind that evil in the world, and it is a person. His name has multiple names. One is the accuser, the devil. The other one is, is Satan or the adversary. But he's opposed to everything. He's opposed to everything that is Christ in your life. So you've got a world competing against you. You've got a, you've got a personal enemy who's competing against you. You've got your own flesh that is struggling. Um, even, even godly men and women uh, uh, struggle with their own flesh. The apostle Paul, name one. Mother Teresa, they struggle with the fallenness of their own flesh. These things are working against the peace of Christ in your lives. I want to add one, though, to you. By the way, the way I remember those three is the world, the flesh, and the evil one, opposed to the peace of Christ. But here's another one. And we've explored this together, but let me just remind you of it again. Sometimes, sometimes the problems in your life, sometimes the pain in your life is no one's fault. Sometimes God is doing something amazing in your life. We spent 6 weeks a couple of years ago studying the story of the blind man. Do you remember that? How it was kind of like Job, how everyone in his life the disciples, his parents, the religious leaders, everyone in his life was was trying to tell him why He was blind in his life. And we got to the end of that story. Do you remember that? We got to the end of that story. And Jesus says to this person who is overwhelmed by his problems, this person who's overwhelmed by this lack of peace, this happened so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. Sometimes God puts us in that situation where where the only extraction is going to come from him and God is going to be glorified because of the problem that you're facing. I can't even look around the room because I know that you're facing real issues because of the problem that you're facing. God's going to do something great. He's going to glorify himself. And you will stand on that mountaintop and you will look back and you'll say, see what God has done, but we're not there. We're on this side of the problem. We're on this side of the peace. In Philippians four six or seven, Paul challenges us: don't don't worry about these things. Instead, he says, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, you will experience God's wonderful peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can ever understand. That's the path to peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. I wish it was that easy, that we could just jump on that. I'm guessing again that you're like me. Most of us, when we face an uncontrollable situation, we just try harder, right? And, and we become more controlling, even in a spiritual sense. Oh, I'm going to have more quiet times, God. I'm going to start more Bible studies. I'm going to control the circumstances around me. I'm going to make this thing work. And what do we do? We make ourselves and we make everybody else around us miserable. The more controlling we become, the more compulsive we become, the more unhappy we become, and the more unhappy we make other people around us. But some of us are exactly the opposite. We don't try and control the situation. We just give up. We don't try anymore. We basically say, I'm done. I failed. I cannot do it, or something's keeping me from doing it. I'm a victim, and I'll be a victim the rest of my life. Try to control it, or we become a victim to it. But in the midst of those situations, God speaks again, and He invites. There's another way. He said, "Remember, some things are done in your life so that God may display His glory in them, so that He may display His works in them." And as we saw last week, there is another response: not controlling, not giving up. And that is just graciously surrendering, surrendering to God's sovereign, his loving control of our lives. You see, I'm wondering if the reason that we really struggle is not, uh, is not because we're trying to control everything, because we are giving up. The reason we struggle is because we're wrestling with God for control of our lives. We're fighting war with god in our in our minds in a couple weeks we're going to start a new series and i'm I'm so excited about it um we're calling it replenish and the idea is that if our souls are parched then it's really hard to um to grow in our relationship with god in other words our bodies our souls and our spirits are intimately tied together and and i tend to focus on the spirit uh, and and not the body and the soul. And and many of us tend to do that. But the invitation is going to be to bring our, and remember our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. But to bring those three things to the foot of the cross as well. To not just be born again in our spirit, that part of us which relates to God, but also be made new in our minds and in our wills and in our emotions. And, and the gift of God is for us to be able to surrender that soul to Him, to surrender ourselves to Him. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Jesus is saying, you can have life or you can have death, but you've got to bring your soul there. You've got to bring your soul to the foot of the cross as well. Because here's the reality. In, 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 a, in a conflict with God, God is going to win every time. Not because he wants to smash you, but because he loves you and wants your best. And he will not surrender your best or his glory to anything else, any other purpose. So sometimes God brings us to that place. He brings us to our knees to force us to depend on Him, to, to prove that He's trustworthy. Sometimes God just flat out has to incapacitate us to show us who's in control, who is sovereign. And with the Apostle Paul, he we, we cried out, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body, this soul of death. Thanks be to God, for Jesus Christ. Help me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you want to have a deep and personal and satisfying heart, mind, and soul, you've got to come to that place where you are saying, "It's hard, God. Uh, everything in the world says no, control everything around you, but I surrender myself to you." And I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Surrender myself to your will. If your word says something, God, I'm going to do it. Even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to me. If your spirit prompts me, even if it's even a totally weird thing, stop the car and and talk to that person. If your spirit prompts me, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you because I'm going to believe that you're going to have something there for me. Besides being able to do a great work in me, there's going to be peace on the other side. Psalm 119, 165 in the ESV says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing, nothing can make them stumble. So let me just ask real quick, what role what role does God's peace have in your life? We're going to spend next week on this, but I just want to tease you with it for a second. Uh, Colossians 3.15 says, um, um, you memorized it in the NIV. It said, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, right? Which is awesome, which is uh, just awesome. But the reality is, is Colossians 3.15 um, uses a word there that if we were playing baseball, would translate on the baseball diamond to umpire. That's slightly different, isn't it? Let the peace of Christ umpire in your heart. What does an umpire do? It stands back there and says, strike or ball, right? Fair or foul. It actually gives moment by moment, second by second direction for your life. Next week, we're going to go back to Luke 9 and Luke 10. And we're going to see how, how to use the peace of God to experience God's purpose for our lives. But but let's start today by recognizing that God has given you his peace so that you might know his purpose. His heart and his mind in every given situation. So you might know what to do. I get these little signals. Um, I get these little signals from people uh, about how long I've been going. Usually when their eyes are like half closed. you know. Um, God's given you his peace. He's given you his peace to direct your life. I want to invite you to risk living into that. Because Jesus is saying to you today, peace, I give Unto you, my peace, not as the world gives, do I give to you, but my peace, I give unto you. I'm guessing when you leave this place, all those problems and all those things that you came in with will still be there. There'll be messages on your phone. Thank you for not answering them during the, during the message. There will be struggles still to pick up. That's not the question. The question is, what will you do with them? Will you embrace the hope? Will you embrace the healing? Will you embrace the help that is yours through the peace of Christ which he offers? Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much that you did not abandon us. You promised us your presence, but the real practical outworking of that presence, God, is that we can know moment by moment and day by day your purpose for our lives. There is a place in our lives for the peace of Christ. And I pray, God, that you would help us understand that. That you would help us come to that point where we can accept the reality of the things that we can change. That you are calling us to change the justice issues and the places that you want us to make a stand for the kingdom of God. But also, God, to just gently let go of those things that, that we cannot control, that we cannot change, and to entrust them to you who are sovereign. God, I pray that you would deepen our ability to trust you. To put our weight down on that which we cannot see. And, and, and to not lean on our own understanding. But instead to trust you in each and every situation. Holy Spirit, wash over us right now. If you prompted us. God, if there's places in our lives where we are not experiencing your peace, would, would you right now, God, grant us the strength, the power. God, grant us the courage to release those things to you. God, we're yours. We are yours. Help us surrender. And God, we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.